This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 6, Here I'll Trust Nothing, otherwise known as the Deep Space Nine episode. But we're going to start with some news that didn't surprise anybody. <laughs> so we've been talking about this new Star Trek movie for years. And if you guys remember last month, it lost a director. You know, at the time I said, there's no way they're going to stick with the release date. I don't know why they waited a month, but Paramount has finally removed it from the release calendar, which was going to be Christmas 2023. So no one believed it, but they finally removed it. What they didn't do is put it to a new date because it was set to June 23. Then they moved it to Christmas. Now they moved it to the you know, the nether limbo of where movies could disappear entirely. Although the project's not dead, but it's also not on the calendar. So it's somewhere in between. We don't know exactly. I feel like they finally removed it because they forgot it was there. (laughs) Because, you know, they made this big announcement like, oh, the whole Kelvin crew will be back. And then the actors are all like, that's great. Nobody's talked to me about it, but I love that idea. And everybody's booked and busy doing things and, you know, we've all, just like our audience knows, we know it all just seemed like you can't just pull it all together at the last minute. Well, this project has been, there's a lot of, you know, it's like a, you know, what is it? Like a duck or a swan? You know, there's a lot of stuff happening under the water you can't see. Right. And there, ha- there has been a lot of stuff going on. There's been multiple writers. Right. Um, there's been multiple executives. I think it's coming down to money, probably co-financing. I think that's the problem. And then they lost the director. So now they can't really pick a date until they get a director because a new director might have a somewhat different vision, maybe different writers. So the, the question is, will they, you know, because these things are so delicate of getting everyone together and having all the planets align. Yeah. I, you know, there's no way that Paramount Pictures does not want to be making Star Trek movies, you know, that that they had a great year this year. The the head of the studio has talked glowingly about Star Trek in the past. He recently talked about how they want to expand their release calendar. They're obsessed about franchises. By 2024, they want to be putting out about 15 movies a year. This year, they're only putting out eight movies. So they need a Star Trek movie, you know, that there's no lack of interest it's just figuring out how to do it which they obviously haven't done and also not making big announcements before they're ready yeah i mean that you know it was the the fact that it was done on investor day it was definitely putting the cart before the horse i guess they felt that they needed a little bit of pizzazz for the investors i mean you know the stock (laughs) paramount global stock has not been you know the best stock in recent years and you know maybe next february jj will be back saying remember what i said last year okay well this time i mean it or just kidding you never know (laughs) yeah well they wouldn't do that they would just have him not show up yeah no Uh, i know obviously i'm joking but the bottom line is you know that they they did put the cart before the horse and now they're trying to figure out what to do next. And the one thing they know is, well, it's certainly not going to come out when we thought. Yes, but it's not also dead. So right. it's somewhere, you know, but it could be. You know, right. they, may, they may end up just starting from scratch. It might make more sense. I mean, I love the Kelvin crew. Even if I don't love everything about all those movies, I love that cast. And I think they're great things. 
in some of those movies. Um, so I would like to see them back, but it's it might not be something they can do at this point. You know, it's interesting to see how both Disney and Paramount seem to be able to produce all sorts of television shows for Star Wars and Star Trek. And by the way, Andor is amazing. But both of them are having trouble on the big screen. Uh, recently, another Star Wars movie fell. Since The Force Awakens, they really haven't been able to pull it together over there either. And some movies have they keep on announcing new directors and new teams and putting things on the calendar, taking them off the calendar. So they're having the same trouble. This is not unique, but uh, yeah, it's a problem. And uh, let's hope they sort it out. Yes. So let's move on to Star Trek Picard because we have another one of your Star Trek Day interviews from the Purple Carpet. Uh, this time with makeup designer James McKinnon, who's always like enthusiastic when I've interviewed him he's he's exuberant he's enthusiastic he loves to talk about what he does I assume you had the same experience yeah he's great and he's kind of one of the rare people who was who were there back in the day he worked for Michael Westmore yeah in the 90s um he was nominated for his first Emmy he's got like five or six Emmys but his first nomination was for DS9 back in 1990 something and uh he he worked at the 2009 JJ movie and then he came back for the various Kurtzman shows. I think just Discovery and Picard, although I think he only did two seasons of Discovery. Yeah, I think so. And he won one Emmy for one of those. And then and he's done two seasons of Picard and he's on season three. Yeah, he's very enthused about season three. He was excited to get to do Worf again because, you know, he was from DS9. But this time he said it was faster. They're using better materials. He got into some of the weeds on that stuff. I would like to talk to him more. I mean, it was just the red carpet a few minutes. And I would like to get more detail about the process. But he says it's faster now, which is good news for Michael Dorn, I'm yeah. sure. Although he did. I liked his description of doing the Borg Queen because he said it was four hours of makeup with 16 pieces. Yeah. A lot. I mean, she looked fantastic. I saw a full presentation that he did with her at WonderCon and they had all these slides, which I wish they'd released those online that showed a lot of this is done with 3D printing now, which has totally transformed their business. And it is the detail on the Borg Queen. The sad thing is so often on these shows, you just don't ever see how much detail there is in some of these things. Right. Um, I mean, it's kind of like that crazy suit they made. Um, in season one for discoveries, the torchbearer. The the torch <laughs> who knows that thing must have cost a hundred thousand dollars or something. You never even see it, you know. But it's the same, you know, you know. I think that about the uniform sometimes too that they put in a crazy, crazy detail that just doesn't come through. Yeah, we still don't know what these three aliens are that he said he's never worked on in Star Trek before. Um, and people are trying to do the math, like which shows did he work on, which aliens right. did he work on. It's probably some old classic TOS stuff, but I mean, even though he was there for TNG and DS9, he didn't work on everything. So it could have been a Cardassian. Maybe he never worked on a Cardassian. I don't know. I feel like if he did DS9, he probably worked on Cardassians, but he maybe didn't work on Andorians. Yeah. So and even though there's been Andorians on Discovery, I'm not sure if they were there when he was there. So. Oh, yeah. There, he could have done it there. Yeah. So that's what I'm anyway, saying. There's it's, a game you could play all day. Yeah. <laughs> but knowing Terry, you know, there's some deep cuts in Picard season three, and he was very excited. 
he he got rather crude. He said uh, fans are going to quote shit themselves when they see Picard season three. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'd look forward to that, but I get what he's. <laughs> That's not the experience you're after when you watch. No, not really. Um, Terry also shared a fun update today. Some music from the scoring stage as they're recording basically the next generation theme for Picard season three. And I have to say, like, put headphones on and listen. It just will fill you with joy. Yeah, I mean, the nostalgia fest on Picard season three is going to be heavy. It's going to be like this week's episode of Lower Decks, but every week. (laughs) And the music is going to be a big part of that. And he has a new composer. And I know he's really excited about that, that side of it, for sure. Well, it sounded beautiful. So let's switch to some Strange New World news, uh, which is related to comic books. So last week you were saying how IDW just launched the first Lower Decks comics, and the review is up on the site. Joe just loved it. It is yeah. very funny. That's, it's, a, it's a joyful review to read just because he seems so happy. Exactly. Then this week, IDW said they're going to launch their first Strange New Worlds comic in December. It's called The Illyrian Enigma. It's going to be four issues. And the the cool element is it's bridging the gap between seasons one and two. So it's going to pick up on that whole Una is a genetically modified Illyrian storyline. You know, the description says Captain Pike and the crew set out in search of evidence to prove her innocence. This sounds like it really is going to be tied to season two. It isn't just. Yeah, I assume that was part of season two. Yeah, I mean, my bet is there's like a piece of evidence that they will have in season two that this story maybe explains how they got it or something like that. You know, Kristen Beyer, who's one of the you know, who's a producer on the show, is co-writer with Mike Johnson, who she's worked with on all sorts of these things. I feel like, because there is a Picard, which launched an August comic book called Stargazer, which is set between seasons two and three, but I'm not entirely sure how fully tied in that is to seasons two and three. I think this one's going to be a little closer. But Yeah, uh, no, it sounds like it. It's going to, it's, it's more specifically tied to the actual storyline. Yep. Let's switch to Lower Decks. So I have an interview with Mike McMahon um, up on the site talking a little bit about season three. The only thing really is this was from Star Trek Day and he said they were just putting the final touches on the finale, which we call he called big. And he said finales always get big, which is true. They're from they definitely do a kind of a ramp up. And, you know, we're seeing that for sure. Yeah. um, Already. So um, it sounds like they're going to. You know, have a big old finale. It's probably going to be a big old cameo in there somewhere. Oh, you think? <laughs> has, has, has Frank shown up this season yet? This season, he, no. He has it. No. Yeah. So I thought he was going to show up. I mean, maybe there was a misinterpretation because I think he said he was in there somewhere. Maybe, maybe he shows up in the finale again. Who knows? But Mike said the writings, he said the writing for season four is pretty much done. And they're starting to work on dialogue and animatics are coming in. And he's, of course, already excited about it. Yes, he said it was awesome, whatever that yes. means. <laughs> then I kind of started pressing him on, okay, so four seasons of this show. Because he said, you know, I said, when do you want to get the pickup order for season five? And he said, you know, by the end of the year, just logistically, that would be best for him. 
And he said, you know, I'd love to get another 100 episodes. But then the question is, how long can you do the show? Because it isn't like The Simpsons. They aren't constantly resetting these people back to the same age. They are growing and evolving. And there will be a point where, you know, does it make sense to be lower decks? But, you know, he, you know, he kind of, I think he kind of admitted seven or eight seasons might be the end of it. What did it sound like to you? I mean, it's funny because I think, well, you know, there's a certain Ensign Harry Kim. Um, so not everybody gets promoted. But <laughs> but there was oh, a he, reason for that. Right. And he wasn't a lower decker. I mean, he was senior staff, really. So Yes. Yes. You know, he was there for every important thing. But I mean, I, I got this. I mean, listening to your interview with him, I think he would keep going as absolutely long as they would let him. He would never choose to wrap it up on his own. And I think he would find a way to keep, you know, he said he wants to keep that lower deckers kind of feel. And I think he would find a way to do it. I feel like you'd probably have to introduce some new characters to do that. Probably. Yeah. Um, he Or would... like really have them, you know, they get in big trouble and they're all demoted, but that I think would lose its charm pretty no, quickly. No, no, that, that's kind of stupid. Sitcom-y. He did talk about how like he'd love to do a movie, Lower Decks movie. I'm not yeah. sure that, you know, I mean, he was just riffing basically, but he's like, I'd love, I just want to do this forever. So it's good that he still has the enthusiasm for the show because he created it and... You know, he's as big a Star Trek nerd as can be, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, and he's got to be having so much fun because he gets to be playful in a way that that the other shows can have their moments of it. But he's all in for playing all the time. I mean, I so I you know, wrapped up by asking. I'm, I'm a fan of the new She-Hulk TV show. Me too. And it's a sitcom in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and so I asked him, like, could, could you imagine a live action sitcom? Because I, in a way, I think the lower decks can wrap up in, in like seven or eight seasons, but I'd like to see him do something else in Star Trek, maybe a live action sitcom, maybe something else, maybe a different comedy, animated comedy or something, you know, as opposed to just the same thing over and over again for until season 10, 11, 12, that kind of thing. Right. And well, he and what he told you is that he thinks you can do pretty much anything in Star Trek, that you can move it into any genre of show. Yeah, he hasn't pitched an, a specific sitcom, but he definitely sees it. And he did point out quickly that he did do a comedy episode of Short Treks, the one with Rain Wilson, where there's all the mud robots. What's interesting about that is when, so I saw, so that came out, obviously we knew he was doing Lower Decks, but we hadn't, we didn't know anything about it yet. And that wasn't, even though I love Rain Wilson, I didn't particularly like that short trek. And I was concerned. I was like, uh oh, does that mean I'm not going to like Lower Decks? Um, Which it did not mean that. So it's interesting. I mean, I'm always up for a creative take on things, but we'll see. I I liked that one. I think people get squeamish when they hear about sitcom star trek (laughs) yeah i mean it's 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 another step depending on how you do it it you know it's even more broad than potentially than uh lower deck so yeah is there a limit to what you could do within the star trek universe you know they're testing that with marvel i mean there's a lot of you look at the latest marvel movies 
there's a lot of humor in those a lot more than you get in star trek and star wars for sure but but and but they do like shows like wandavision she hulk they're all moving into different territories and it's very it's creative and it's interesting i like she hulk it's just light silly fun and feels very comic booky yeah i wonder if you could do that kind of fourth wall stuff in star trek that the she hulk and the deadpool kind of stuff i to me it's always about who are the creatives making it and if they do it well you can get away with all kinds of stuff and if they don't do it well then it falls flat and he is really talented and really funny and really smart and really knows star trek so even though i didn't love the escape artist I still would be open to anything he wanted to do. Oh, I'm sure he'd be honored to hear that. No, I don't think he would care what I think, but <laughs> but let's <laughs> pretend. <laughs> he would be. He, I mean, but the thing is, he does, and we talked about this in the interview, because they have this long lead time. They kind of have to trust their gut on what's going to work and not work, because there's just not enough time for fan feedback, because they're always, you know, like, yeah, as I say, that they're going to have finished writing season four by now. Right. It's not like discovery where they say we heard you and we've made adjustments based on what you've said. Like they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so they said what he was saying was like, we are fans. And so we just have to do what we think is good and works and trust that fans will like it. And if it's not what they're expecting, we have to hope that they'll just be happily surprised, which is a good attitude to have, frankly. Yeah, and his experience on Rick and Morty, which he brought up, you know, it kind of trained him on how to deal with fan feedback as well. Because if, if you ever wa- wanted a show with a lot of fan feedback, yeah, it's it's Rick and Morty. There's yes. no no end to fan feedback for that show. There was one other Star Trek Day interview I did. Nana Visitor was there, and so I did an interview with her that I said I would hold until after her episode aired because. At that point, I had already seen it because we all watched it together in Vegas, right? Yeah, it's a fun one to watch in a group. I think they all are, actually, now that I think about it. They are, for sure. And what was surprised me is she said she was surprised to get the call at all. Not just from Lower Decks, but just to come back. Because she described Kira as a challenging or difficult character. For, for some, some people. people, yeah, that was. I thought that was really interesting too. What do you think she means by that? I'm still trying to unpack what she's saying there. Yeah, I mean, I think that she, that Kira is unlike so many other characters. Someone who always had, still had anger. Is it as a as a woman is a pretty unusual character. As someone, you know, someone who's dealing with. She's got religion. She's got leadership. She's got a lot going on there. And so I think maybe it's the complexity of that character that makes it hard for people to creatively work with and preserve the integrity of who she is. That's my interpretation. She definitely has a strong connection and love for this character that's more than most actors after all these years, the way she talks about Kira. And she's one of those actors who names episodes. Like when you ask her about Deep Space Nine, she'll give you episode titles and talk about what happened in those episodes, which a lot of actors can't do that much. Yeah, she reminds me a little bit of Tim Russ that way. You know, there's a few of the Star Trek actors, like if you ask, like, you know, Patrick Stewart or God forbid, William Shatner. (laughs) Well, (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, you wouldn't ask William Shatner at this point. Yeah. But she's very much into her character and the arc and the details and specific episodes. And I think she's, she, you know, she said to you, Kira still lives right here. Like, it's a character that's very close to her heart. Yeah, she pointed to her heart. It was endearing. She said she'd love to do live action Kira again. You know, I was I was goading her. I mean, the good money is that she's in Picard season three. There's a lot of fans speculating because there's been so many hints that there's DS9. And uh, we've talked about this on the pod. You kind of by process of elimination, if you're going to bring in a character from DS9, you know, she's you want, at the top well, of the you list. You want to talk about Dominion War Fallout. Yeah, which they do. She's the right one for that. Right. A combination of logistics and character arcs. It makes sense for her. So um, but she was not spilling any beans. So but she did say that doing Lower Decks was really thrilling. She I love that she called it thrilling and wonderful and that the collaboration was so easy and fun. Like she obviously had a really good time doing that. And something that I know is near and dear to your heart. You interviewed her like a year ago to talk about this book she's working on. And you asked me to ask her about that, which I did. And she said that it it isn't dead, even though Eagle Moss is dead, because it was they were going to publish it. That she still like feels like there will be a publisher, um, which Ben Robinson also told me, and that the holdup is mostly logistics in the interviews, but that there will still be a documentary and a book about women in Star Trek. I'm looking forward to that still, but it's yes. going to be a delay for sure. She said one of the big holdups was actually COVID because she wants to talk to the current the women who are currently on Star Trek shows and COVID protocols are so strict that that wasn't something that she could do. So that was that was a bigger holdup, she told you. Okay, so let's switch to talking about an actual episode of Star Trek Lower Decks um, that includes Kira Norris. Here all trust nothing. Yeah. Which there's a double meaning to that episode or uh, title or triple meaning, perhaps, um, because that is, it, it is a rule of acquisition. Right. <laughs> but I think it ties into some of the themes of the episode as well. This was my favorite episode of the season and not just because it was a Deep Space Nine episode, although that was such a wonderful treat, like a gift that we could unwrap. But I also... I loved the message. I loved the pace. I thought the stories were so much fun. I thought Adam Pally was such a perfect, fantastic guest star. And there are just so many pieces of it. Just to be clear, he's the overly enthusiastic Orion from Cincinnati. Yes, <laughs> from Cincinnati. <laughs> right, like those every detail. There were just so many good details in this episode. I, I loved watching it multiple times. How about you? I very much enjoyed the episode. It was great fun watching it as a group. And, you know, as a huge fan of DS9, I very much enjoyed it. I tried to watch this as if, like, what if I wasn't familiar with DS9 or a huge fan of DS9, but was a big fan of this show? Does it still work? I'm There, I'm not sure. But then I'm like, well, but maybe that's just okay. Maybe sometimes it's okay to just indulge in a little bit of nostalgia because how many people are fans of Lower Decks but not fans of DS9? At least enough to get the gags. What do you think? I think it still works, actually. I think there are moments, I think there are like 
a lot of, you know, things that Rutherford keeps saying when he's so excited about things that maybe you wouldn't understand why that was funny. But I think all the big stories still work. I mean, they definitely pulled themselves back. You know, they weren't doing everything. You know, they weren't. There are no jump just sticks. There's I know no, there are no jump just sticks. I feel like we were promised jump just sticks. You know what? I mean, maybe they're in the background somewhere. I mean, I, I still need to do the kind of freeze frame viewing where you look for everything. Um, I did a little bit of that. I haven't seen any jump just sticks. You know, there was a mention of a tailor, but it's not. Yeah, I looked Gar- for the tailor. It's not <laughs> Garrick, you know, and obviously a lot of Quark and a lot of Kira. Right. Because those were the two guest stars. I, I think the Kira character worked better than the Quark character. I'm not sure. I feel like part of it, and I think we talked about this the night we all watched it together, was that I don't. He didn't seem to have his teeth in when he recorded his dialogue. Yeah, so there was something that... about his voice that was a little different, but it was. It's more than that. And Quark would never agree to letting someone have seventy percent of his profits. That's just never going to happen. So uh, the way that they tied that up in a bow at the end was a little. Well, it too... sounded like he didn't actually have a choice. But well, he's always got something going on. He yeah. could have. Yeah. And it was unfair. I mean, sure, he used some of their parts, but, you know, he built a franchise um, yeah. and, uh, you know, 22 locations. Although, again, you know, as Ransom said, like anybody can anybody just go ahead and <laughs> replicate drinks. And he was like, well, no, I have this special technology. That makes it special. And that was the special technology. Well, but it was it was his programs, right? Yep. As he pointed yep. out. Yep. It's hardware, software. You know, it's worth more than 30% is my point. It should have been <laughs> the other way around. I, I am, I'm Quark's lawyer and I'm going to fight this one in, in Federation Court. <laughs> I think you'll win. I think you have, you, make, you have a good case there. But it, it was still good seeing the bar and it was fun how it's kind of become a tourist attraction you know, with him kind of being this celebrity, because there's been all these mentions of Quark's on other planets, and we've seen Quark's merchandise, so it makes sense. People getting selfies, people saying, will you sign my pad? (laughs) (laughs) Something like, so last week's episode, the collectors had a Quark doll that was, why would the collectors have, it must have been a special version, because they're selling them in bulk in the Right. gift shop so maybe that was like the first one or a prototype or something like that yeah it must have been <laughs> you know they only want the rarest of things and there's nothing right. rare, rare about you know the mass production that i'm sure quark is is pulling off but you know what we've been talking a lot about ds9 why this episode is good i think is because it's an excellent character comedy about Tendi yeah. and to a lesser extent, Mariner. Yes. Like last week, Rutherford finally got his due. Now this week, Tendi, who's had a little more tension this year because she's kind of got her new position, but this got more backstory for her. And I know that Noelle Wells, this is her favorite episode of the season. She said, and you can see why, because she got a lot to do and we learned a lot about her and her family. Um, and yeah, Adam Pally was a perfect foil for her to kind of get into all of that Orion stuff. He was so funny because he's I'm I'm going to assume that you 
didn't watch the Mindy Project. Well, I'm I'm let's say I'm Mindy Project aware, so I do know he was on that show. Because when he joined that show, I was so annoyed by him and I was like, why do we need this broy character? He's kind of annoying. And eventually I just fell in love with him. And it was kind of the same vibe and that he, you know, acted one way but actually was this better interesting guy once you got to know him but was still sort of that first guy so you know like it's something he does extraordinarily well and i thought he was perfect in this and made me laugh so many times and there's also something a little meta that's always been true of tendy herself which is orion's were portrayed as these sexualized and pirate characters through the franchise, even through Enterprise. And they, you know, on this show, Tendy was always presented as someone who was not like that. But this guy reminded us that in a kind of meta way that everyone else still thinks Orions are shady characters. And he's bought into that himself in a way. Well, I loved when he said that everything he knows about Orion's he learned from bad Holland novels. And then he goes, the ones with the boobs on the cover, which again, <laughs> is just how they, Orion's were always there for just sex appeal. And, and Star Trek never seemed super bothered by the whole slave girl idea, <laughs> you know? Right. And so I really loved that they did that. And I also, in a way, made me think of Worf who was so, you know, who was raised by humans and was so eager to embrace his Klingon side. And this guy was so eager to embrace his Orion side, but turns out he's from Cincinnati and was raised by humans. And had yeah. never even been to his own home world. Yeah, I mean, I always loved that kind of weirdness about Worf, that he was kind of a wannabe Klingon because he did grow up in Russia, essentially. Right. And he was called out on it by... Um, by Kalar. Yeah. He's like, he's like, no, the like, Klingons like that. Yeah. <laughs> Klingons like that fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously Dax, you know, right. As well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Klingons laugh and drink and get rowdy and have a good time. And he's very serious. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, that was a great character. He was so annoying, but in a good way, I guess is the best way you could, you could, you could say that. So many funny lines, like when he says, I'm going to be doing security for you for the rest of the day. How lucky are you? And Rutherford goes, that's great. And Tendy goes, that's news. <laughs> <laughs> and his yeah. singing, his energy level, like everything about him really, really worked for me. And how he basically lied to Starfleet to get a religious exemption. Yes. <laughs> so he could carry around this weapon multi-tool thing. Right. He's lucky that someone like um, Kayshawn wasn't around because like he's got his ceremonial knife, you know, like he's got a real thing going on. And this guy's just uh, lying so he could carry around this gizmo, although it did come in useful. Later. I was going to say it was a beautiful setup because they showed it to us at the beginning. It was really good story structure. Like they showed it to us at the beginning and to make us think, oh, he's such a jerk. And then it ends up being the tool that saves the day and that Tendi's, you know, a perfect whiz with it and knows exactly how to, all the things that it does. Right, because everyone looks to him when they need to actually pirate a ship and he's like, uh, I don't really know how to do that. And we know she knows how to do that because of her big episode with Mariner. 
Yeah. Um, but I think we got a little bit more about how the family business, as it were. Yeah. She was really good at it. Would she, yes. I mean, when she pulled the tooth out of that guy, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> believe they just did that. You know, but there was a reason, you know, because it was the latinum for conductor, whatever, who knows, you know. Right. Hand wave. It was really just something they wanted to do. By the way, Cork wouldn't just steal the tooth. I'm just going to get back to this. He would have bought the <laughs> tooth off her. He is right. a businessman. He, he would have just... negotiated and come yes, up with would... something. Yep. Yeah. So that I agree. bugged me. Sorry, I keep on coming back to that. Hey, you know what it was? I think he... He lacked the nuance that that live action Quark has. Also. Yes. You yeah. know, because he's I was never a fan of the Ferengi until Deep Space Nine. And then I just thought he was such a fantastic character and complex and fascinating. And so I think that they just with in his case went for just a lot of surface stuff for the jokes. And I think with Kira, they got to do they got to play just a little bit more because she was Bajoran resistance fighter arguing with Shax about things but she was also you know Colonel Kira in charge of Deep Space Nine so there was a lot more going on with her so did you something that I was a little unclear on because obviously the issue with Quark is that he had stolen the technology from the Karama but he was really antagonistic to them when they came in and he was making cracks about the Dominion War was that genuine? Was Quark really being patriotic, as it were? Alpha Quadrant patriotic? Or was that just his way to get the Karama out of his bar? I mean, I felt like he wanted to get them out. But they, you know, they did use a species that has a history on Deep Space Nine. Sure. It was, he was the one who brought the, you know, who made first contact with them. Right. Um, which he mentioned. I've dealt with your kind before, as right. it were. Uh, but he had a great, didn't he have like a fun time with the uh, Cromwell version of the Karama? I think so. But I, you know, it's, but they were part of the Dominion. Yeah, the well, they were, like... they were within the Dominion. I mean, they weren't, you know, as, as this guy said, hey, there was all the Vorta and the, and the founders, you know, were, you know, we just. Yeah, but they did, they traded with the Jem'Hadar and they dealt, you know, they were mem officially members of the Dominion, even though they weren't you know reporting to the founders or even dealing with them anyway yeah. there's a lot of history there that would take a long time to go into but i do think the main reason was because he didn't want them to see the technology though although he played it well because it did look like he was genuinely pissed for them for being the enemy right and he was already you know full of shit going i love starfleet so <laughs> <laughs> So what did you think about sticking in Quark's bar the way they they wanted to do an episode where they, they needed Mariner to go off on her story, which we'll talk about. And Rutherford and Tendy were perfectly paired up. So they're like, well, what do we do with Boimler? So they just had him suddenly be <laughs> really good at Tongo. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was fine with it. I thought, you know, you got to do something with him. It was a throwaway. It was fine. I mean, it didn't mean anything and it wasn't important. I did like when he said fortune favors the bold, which is, you know, a famous quote, obviously. And Cisco said it on Deep Space Nine. Lorca actually said it on Discovery, too, but it has a history before all that. But it was just a goofy side plot. Yeah, it was goofy. It was fun. I, you know, he's had some good stuff this season. We don't need, you know, and 
you you could only focus on so much in 22 minutes so and it wouldn't um, have made sense to put him in any of the other stories yeah because he could have been with tendy and rutherford as kind of a threesome which i think would have been too much you couldn't have put him in mariner's story and i wouldn't even have put him in freeman's story like at all i think it just would have been because he's such a strong personality that it's hard to have him just in the background of someone else's story so they just they shuttled him off and gave him a little something fun to do Yes, and more, and, and now he has more proof that being bold Boimler is the way to go. Right. Um, because he Although, walked away. also for him, no stakes, because money. <laughs> yes. Well, he has Quark's bucks now, so he can... Right. He spent I mean, them. Did you see the stuff he had collected at the end? He spent he, them all. He couldn't have spent it all. I mean, he had a lot of latinum. Those were the big bars. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he hasn't spent all his Quark, Quark's bucks. One thing I did like is that Freeman is also got some time in this episode and was able to show that she knows what she's doing, even though she wasn't happy about being, you know, told 10 minutes before she was in charge of this thing. That was a little weird. Well, they needed a reason to circle (laughs) Deep Space Nine and admire the pylons, which was so beautifully done. And you could feel the joy of the animators, the writers, everybody. Like you could feel they're like, yeah, let's do that. So it felt so joyful when they did that. Um, And I liked that she was she said somebody else would have prepared for months and I don't get to prepare. So I thought that tied together really nicely and then gave us that lovely extra moment of wait let's do it again <laughs> then we hear the music again and see it but this morning. is kind of another example of freeman being accidentally forced into a position where she has to do a big thing right i guess that's because of the conceit of they're they're the california class and they're there to do second contacts so she shouldn't be the one doing these major things like negotiating with the pack lids. And there's been a few other examples where it just kind of works out that she's the one. Maybe this is just, they have this, this great setup, but then they realize every once in a while, they want their captain to do the enterprise kind of thing, or at least the Vancouver kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, so they kind of have to weasel their way into it. Because the, the, the Admiral at the beginning seemed to be lying. He's like, you know, he makes makes up this thing about a brown hole, which doesn't exist. Right. Um, She's like, that's so, not even a thing. Yeah. Which <laughs> it isn't. I mean, unless it is in the 24th century. But, you know, there's black holes and there's brown dwarfs, right. but there's no brown holes. I mean, the best thing about that whole bridge crew storyline was the Kira Shacks thing. <laughs> which was so... So good. I enjoyed every minute of that. I mean, she was, you know, they, they amped her up like they do with Riker when he's on, you know, with jazz Riker is different. And so they did the same thing with her, which I know that you talked to her about a little bit in your interview with her. That's right. Why don't we listen to that? Yeah. You know, that's just a different in, in difference in tone, really like Talking to you may be different than the way I talk to my husband before my morning coffee. It's still me. So in terms of that, it was just Kira mostly with an old friend that she had a rivalry with so that it was natural for it to be faster and a little more furious and funny. Um, If they were in dangerous situations, of course, the tone changes. 
so that's it's all major Kira, just different facets. You know, I, I like what she had to say there. It's similar to what Frakes has said to me as well that you know that the that it is a different character in a way, but it's still a shade of the same character. Yeah. At the same time, you know, which makes sense. Her analogy, I, I was somewhat insulted that she felt like she couldn't talk to me like she talks to her husband when they <laughs> have their morning coffee, but I get it. Yeah, give um, her some time. One day. <laughs> I don't know if that, that, that may have been my first interview with her now that I think, and I can't be. No, no, I'm sure I've done a phone interview, but I think it was the first time I've talked to her like in person. Um, and she's stunning and wonderful and fun. Yeah, I just might that. I mean, I interviewed her over the phone when we talked, but I was, I was just in awe of her. Basically, let's talk a little bit about Mariner's little side project. <laughs> well, firstly, I mean, it might have been it was like a throwaway line. It's a miss. It, you almost miss it line with because she does. She's not going to be on the station because she's too jaded, and we she's seen it all before. But then when Jennifer, her don't call her a girlfriend, chimes in about joining her with her friends. She tries to say you know, she tries to weasel out of it and say that she has to take her friends to the station. And do, do, did you clock what she said there? She said they would get lost on Deep Space Nine without her. Right. Well, specifically, she said without me, they'd probably get lost and end up in a mirror universe with Smiley. Oh, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that was I mean that that's the thing about this episode is there's 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 layers for sure. Yeah. I also thought it was funny at that moment that Rutherford goes, We have maps, and he holds up not one thing, but again in true Star Trek form, multiple pads. God. Because he would need his maps on different devices. Yes. <laughs> like when there's a stack on someone's desk. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I, I I so much hate the multiple pads thing. Like the I guy know, I who thought, thought of you. <laughs> pads are like paper. If you have a messy office, you have many pads. Like whoever, you know, someone very old thought of that. <laughs> and then and they've stuck with it over the years, which I like. <laughs> anyway, anyway, like, and um, bringing each other. People always bringing each other pads. Like you couldn't just send the information to some yeah. other. Anyway, but the Mariner story, it's funny because I initially was, I was a little bit resistant, like, oh, it's another typical bunch of chicks doing chick things, except that it was so funny and so true. And I, I have in my life, this was the first episode where I really identified with Mariner because I have often found myself, not often, I have occasionally found myself in groups of women who are all of a type that I am not. <laughs> And I just think they're being ridiculous and over earnest and experiencing something that I have no interest in that they want me to be part of. So I was like right there with her and laughing at all of her lines. I remember at, at, at Star Trek Las Vegas, there was one of the cosplayers who was just like this kind of overly earnest. And she did the snapping instead of clapping thing, oh. which is called snaplaws apparently <laughs> <laughs> and i'm immediately i mean they just so nailed that of course there were bongos um the eternal beat poetry thing so no i i you know the the interpretive dance titled the kobayashi maru it was all wonderful. and i wasn't I in the enterprise the enterprise was in me all along <laughs> like all that stuff was so good or mariners like what is the theme pillows 
And then when they say, just speak your truth, she goes, I'd rather just listen to y'all's truths. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so, I just really got it. Like I really connected with it. You know, if I've ever had to be with, I don't know what, like a, any kind of weird woman's thing. <laughs> well, I, I can't relate necessarily, but I kind of get it at the same time. But the, the whole time you're there, you're like, okay, so they're going to break up because obviously if this is who Jennifer is, then she's a fish out of water until the end when we get, which is the theme of the episode. Jennifer brought her there to be herself, not to right. fit in, yes. but to be Mariner. Because she wanted Mariner to be the fish out of water. And she wanted them, she wanted her to give her friends uh, what they deserve. I mean, yeah. does does Jennifer even like these women? I guess is the question. Well, she does. They're her friends from the Academy. So that's fine. I mean, it's funny because at the very beginning, right? Boimler and Rutherford and Tendy are like, don't act like yourself, basically. They're like, don't be bossy. You better be nice. So they actually give her the wrong advice. Yeah, yeah. And she sticks with it. Right, which, look, in new relationships, that's a totally common thing, which is that yeah. you're still trying to be the person you think someone wants you to be, so they'll still like you. And then Jennifer says to her, no, I like that you don't take shit, and I know my friends can be a bit much, so go destroy them. <laughs> Right. And and she had the perfect opportunity with the crisis and the blackout. So she stunned them. And then she had to stun herself, I guess. I'm but not sure why they, she, she needed. Well, she shoots them also. And she says, just actualizing my dreams. And Jennifer's <laughs> clapping, which I loved. It made me like Jennifer more, too. Um, well, she said it was a bad look. So she thought it would make more sense if it looked like, you know, they all had to stop breathing all the extra oxygen or whatever the problem was. The Mariner got a big surprise there with another funny line when someone asked her about Boimler and she goes, well, firstly, he's not aging backwards. I'm right. like, where did that, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Why was that her go-to? But uh, anyway, they're like, no, he's hot. He's sexy. Right. Which is kind of that episode, remember, where they're like, oh, these people from this other ship are, you know, are too cool and but we're the cool ones right and you know Oimler has saved the day a few times and, and he's died and come women on the vineyard really liked him it's it's interesting that bold Boimler hasn't hooked up with anyone yet because if he is bold that is part <laughs> of being bold is you know putting yourself out there yeah so taking some chances baby maybe one of these women and brad are gonna be a thing <laughs> and then he can wear sweats and Snap his fingers and dance around. <laughs> oh, God. If he goes like full on boyfriend. Well, he's already done that. Yep. We've already seen that from him. Yeah. But I thought I just loved every part of that story. It just all the, it's like the, the dialogue was so quick and funny and snappy. Literally with snaps. Yeah. With the actual snaps. <laughs> but but it tied in well with the main plot because the mm -hmm. blackout and everything um and with the theme with tendy's same theme which is like be yourself be yourself and accept who you are and don't try to hide it which you know um even mesk the orion from cincinnati decided he's gonna be an ohioan right you know he's gonna <laughs> embrace his inner ohioan and stop trying to pretend to be a pirate right 
everyone. And 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 in a way, the captain was being herself too and learning to kind of it's weird because she constantly forgets and then regets her confidence. It's like a lesson she keeps on having to relearn, I think, in a weird right. way on this show. Well, because she's also sort of a blowhard. <laughs> so that's part of like, the quality of being a blowhard. Yeah. You know, the only thing this episode doesn't have is Dr. Tana. The, there's only one little Dr. Tana thing in there, which is in the bar where she's drinking and she's doing the thing that cats do with their tongues. It's It's hard to notice but she has no dialogue one little thing i did notice in the bar which you wouldn't know this actually you've never went to star trek the experience no i never made it there it's a sad thing so some of the drinks mentioned are genuine drinks from star trek the experience oh that's great the mind meld which was just like just a like every kind of alcohol poured into one bucket and colored blue, if I remember correctly. And the Risa Colada. There was a lot of booze theme in it because at the beginning, the whole, all of their gifts were booze, Alpha Quadrant booze. Right. Um, so this was a very alcoholic episode because there was a lot of drinks flowing in quarks. Uh, Mariner was drinking heavily at the uh, party. Yes. And as it were. So. It was almost like an episode of Mad Men where every time people stop, they just start drinking. You know, <laughs> when you're either walking or you're drinking. There's only two well, way you know, people are. I'll tell you something. Pike does a lot of drinking on Strange New Worlds. Does he? I he does. So. I remember noticing that he's drinking a lot. Mm. Um, What haven't we talked about? Morn was there. Yep. Just couldn't shut there. him up. Yeah. Cisco's baseball was there. Yeah, no, what's interesting is Kira actually used the phrase curveball, which implied a level of baseball understanding. Right. Beyond what you'd expect her to, because I think, I mean, she did witness a game. Yeah, Yeah. but I don't know. Just using the phrase curveball in vernacular, maybe she's grown to love the game. Yeah, I mean, it is an expression that she just could have heard from lots of humans too. Like it is used in other ways. Probably. Like you say, no, I mean, you say now, like throw someone a curveball. You don't mean that you're playing a baseball game with them. But I did love, I loved her rivalry with Shax and I loved when they're going back and forth and yelling at each other and it's escalating. And then Freeman says, I'm sure it was all very rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> She's very, very diplomatic. She was yeah. quite good at the diplomacy yes. in this episode. I did like how Shax, as soon as he saw Deep Space Nine, everyone was like, lovingly look at it. He's, he goes, he calls it a tacky Cardassian eyesore, which it is. Yes. From a his tacky point Cardassian of view. Cardassian fascist eyesore. <laughs> He's very specific. <laughs> Indeed. And that, that is an important distinction. Yes. And she called him a scarred up old barrel bug. <laughs> I also loved... T- I loved him going in this really angry voice. And I love that Quark for all of the things that we felt were missing. His shriek was there many times. He got to make that trademark shriek quite a few times. Yes, I did bag a little bit, but I, you know, it was great seeing Quark. I think it was good that they just, they limited it to two. I think any more like bringing in Jake or anyone else would have been too much. 
It wouldn't have worked with the story. Like, again, it's about keeping things tight. The, these episodes are short. And I was thinking about that same thing. Like, could you have worked in Bashir? Could you have worked in Jake? And it's like, it, you would have had to have added another element to the story. Because both Kira and Quark were essential parts of the story. And, right. And uh, anyone else would have just been, and they would have had to add more. And they already did some rewriting because they needed to put Right. Mariner into the final <laughs> scene where they made a callback to the famous Quark, the hologram program where Quark's head is on Kira's body. So goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could tell that was kind of just a goofy thing to add it at the, you know, last minute because it was extremely goofy. Yeah. But um, why not? Sure. Sure. And of course, she owed Quark money. Which yep. Does with that tracks as well. Anyway, you know, I, I think the second half of the season is ramping up. Um, I'm really looking forward to next week, uh, which is the peanut hamper episode, which everyone says is bananas, crazy. bananas and crazy. So uh, onward and upward for Lower Decks. All right. Well, let's wrap things up, starting with you. Well, um, as we mentioned, this week is the 35th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. I remember the premiere myself me too back in the day uh, i was living in it. toronto back then <laughs> it was the 80s it was so exciting you know appointment television oh yeah of course so we put up just a simple video on the site of what's called an electronic press kit the thing that was sent to all the syndication stations and others promoting star trek the next generation where you could grab clips of you know, so all the stars and Rick Berman and Gene Roddenberry and the ILM guys, and it's it's about an hour long, and it's just great to see them talk about the show and how they saw the show before, you know, ever aired. And how they saw their characters. I mean, there are a few things I thought were really interesting about it. Um, one is, like, they didn't interview Brent Spiner. Yeah, that was weird. That was a weird omission, because I was like, what... How did, did I miss him? And I went back like I was scrolling through. How did, did I miss him? I didn't. But I liked hearing all of them because Marina says, oh, we're 10 weeks into production. So that's sort of your timeline. And hearing them talk about their first takes on their characters. And they're starting to talk about themselves as a group, saying it starts to feel like a family. And we all know that, that those relationships really evolved and became, you know, they are like family, all those guys. And what was important to them about their characters. It was just... I I it was a it's a really fun watch. And it, it definitely takes you back. Yeah. My favorite part, I, I really I just I love anything with Bob Justman in it. Um, yeah, me and there's too. some good stuff with Bob Justman, including him riding around yeah. the back lot on his little bicycle. So he's a lot of fun. Okay, so what's your thing of the week? So we were all very sad to hear that Louise Fletcher died, who played Kai Wynn on Deep Space Nine. It's sort of hard to Imagine that she only did 14 episodes because she was such a presence on that show. It feels like so much more. And so besides all the things we could say about, there's so much we can say about her. And we have an article about her on the site that, you know, obviously before Deep Space Nine, her, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, just go see it. Like, like stop listening, pause, go see it and then come back because it's just a phenomenal movie full of amazing actors in incredible roles. But 
when she won the Oscar. And one of the women up against her that year was Carol Kane, who's just joined the cast of Strange New Worlds. Um, and this was 1976, and you have to see Carol Kane's face and lack of facial expression. Um, <laughs> but her speech was not only like the way everybody should be doing speeches. It was short. It was sweet. It was heartfelt. And it was funny. Her parents are deaf. And she signed at the end to her parents. Like the camera had to remember to pull. Like there's, it's like it takes them a minute to realize, oh, we got to pull back. It's such a moving, beautiful speech that I think like sets the bar so high for what everybody's acceptance speech should be. She was just extraordinary. An amazing actress and you know, that, that character that she loved to hate. I mean, God, she is just the worst. <laughs> Kai Wynn, just every time she showed up, and especially the stuff between her and Kira. I know, my child, my child. Oh, God, with, that, just want- <laughs> with that soft voice, like just, oh, it's so good. And I loved reading old stuff she said about doing Deep Space Nine because she said it was one of her best professional memories and that she said it was the most professional cast and crew imaginable. And that's a really big deal for someone of her stature to have said. I saw an interview. She said that if people recognize her like 45%, you know, and they want autographs, it's either ratchet or win. Yeah. With like a tiny bit, everything else. Yep. Um, Which is a big, you know, which says a lot. Yeah, it does. She's just, she's a striking person an incredibly talented actress. And I think, you know, it's like a big regret that, She's someone I never got to meet because she seems like quite a fascinating person. We've lost a lot of legends in 2022. Yeah, and that's a big one. But just go watch Cuckoo's Nest, everybody, please. Like, you'll see, first of all, you'll see other people you know from Star Trek and many other things. But it's it's just a spectacular movie and a spectacular book also. Indeed. So that's it. For this week so come to the site tell us what you think leave us a review please i ask greedily and uh, <laughs> i think that's all we got this week see you next friday bye <laughs>